So unfortunately, I've uh, I've kind of gotten on the market for a new car um, without a lot of planning. Right. I uh, uh, the car passed inspection last week. The mechanic said, hey, you might want to be buying yourself a new car in the next uh, year so you can avoid rebuilding the transmission or, or something or other. I'm not a car guy. And then my car decided, like, I don't need a uh, a turn signal. And it's probably just broke right off. And it, it the car is it's drivable. But, you know, you got to, like, Jimmy, I don't have a screwdriver in there yet, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's a very uh, little lab- Le, uh, laborious, laborious process yes it's a laborious process so got a rental car and decide oh and it's a 700 dollars repair on a car that's maybe three or four thousand mm. um mm. so i was like fine time to buy a new car so i hit up the uh, the car sales website and uh start searching for cars and i this is this is my interaction with the world of sales again which as you know i'm a huge fan and so I, you know i put in hey i'm interested in this car and within 30 seconds of the website hitting, I'm interested, I get a call. And, Whoa. you know, the guy's like, oh, man, they're all the same. And they're all the same in like terrible, bad ways. Um, you know, oh, you know, we'd love to have you come in. And, you know, all the reasons you should come in immediately and not talk to their competitors or, you know, because they're in a uh, kind of commodity market. You know, there are a lot of choices. But then um, I ran into this other site that is is kind of trying to do the 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 they're not they're not carmax they're they're karma and um they don't have a showroom or anything they just deliver a car to your house and if you like it uh after seven days you pay for it and seems a little nuts um so we'll we'll see we'll see how this plays out but uh yeah probably have to buy a car this weekend that's like that's like the Luke Kniss dream car salesman thing. Did you did you ever read that piece he wrote like several years after uh, l- like leaving Puffet and he was like enterprise sales? What the fuck? Except he doesn't <laughs> yeah, talk like yeah. that. But that was uh, yeah. Karma yeah, Karma's a good name. Now 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 Matt Ray. I think you know had you downloaded a white paper or attended a webinar when, when you were <laughs> buying this car? No, but you better believe I'm on their mailing list now. Um, uh, and, and yeah, every day I'm getting, you know, I'm getting their stock inventory updates. What about text? Yeah. That seems like the new things in car dealerships. Oh my like God. My, my phone text? blew up. I got, so, so literally I hit submit mm-hmm. and within that 30 seconds of, you know, submit to call, I get a text telling me a call's inbound. I get an email telling me, thanks for my interest. And then I get, <laughs> I guess the day's newsletter of, you know, other cars that are like the one I just, uh, inquired about. So, um, I, now, when you, I, before you, I, I'm not even a hot lead. No, but like when you <laughs> entered your information, cause that seems like the distinction, like what was your mentality? Cause like, I feel like when I've done this in the past or when I've entered into it, it's like, no, no, no. At the moment I do it, like I'm ready to like, I know. I'm ready to receive phone calls. I have a number in mind. I know like the make the model and all that. So it's literally they're calling and I'm just immediately trying to negotiate. Like I'm looking for this, this, and this, I want to pay this. And it's just like, cause you just, it's well, almost like, you have to have right. like, you're like walking into a cage match. You have to like be mentally prepared of like, are you, so it sounds like you weren't at that level. You're just Wait, like, no, browsing. no, no. I, 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 I was like, I was at the level of when I hit submit, my, my regret levels double. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Oh, here we go. Oh, like, are you actually ready to buy? Your sounds like you're ready to buy now. Right. Oh, I so have the money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it sounds I, like I that part, like you're fully qualified to buy a lead. car. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm ready to go, but. I don't want to go, right? I don't want to go through this process. I don't want to buy a car, but I have to buy a car. Oh. So I feel like yeah. this is like and, wait, 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 Brandon, Brandon. Is, this is what it's at. Can, mm-hmm. can you negotiate on used car sales? I, I I mean, I guess you can. It makes sense. Well, it depends. Like I we just recently bought a car. Like this last round, when we bought when now we bought a new car, there was no negotiation. But I knew that. Like I had kind of done all my research. It was just like there aren't that many cars, you know, take this or leave it. Yeah. And and that part I got now we sold a car. And we sold one just ourselves, which is like, at the first people were like, it's crazy, but it's actually worked out really well because there was there's so few used cars that, um, and people did try to negotiate. So like we set a price and then we gave them like, I think a few hundred dollars, but we still felt like we got a much better deal. So, well, but that's like actually doing a direct, like it, it seems scary, but it was actually very simple. Like, that's like literally like me buying a car from you. No, nobody in between. It's like, they came over the buyer 
they drove it around <laughs> themselves, right? We just let them drive it around. But, well, and then what, how do you negotiate around? It doesn't have a turn signal. <laughs> oh, I think it's just like a house. You just be like, well, what's the repair for that? That's probably like, I don't know, three, four hundred dollars. Yeah, so that's know, what I would say. Like you know, it, it, you, I don't know what your labor costs are, but the part is 200 bucks. Yeah. And, I think and you just come up with that. Yeah. Yeah, and you can seal fine. it by you, you seal it, Matt Ray, by saying like, "I'm going to throw in the screwdriver for free." <laughs> well, you can also just like I think you can broadly lump it into uh, you know like what is it like pristine, good, fair mm-hmm. condition, right? Like you're telling someone you're like it's in, you know. But now you could obviously be subjective. Like fair condition can mean like a couple dings, or like it has a screwdriver oh, yeah. as a starter. It doesn't so, get I don't any know, fairer like, than this car. What, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, or, or, or you could say like I'm just going to keep this to give to my uh, my daughter. She, no, she's gonna no. Drive. Oh, I mean, we, I mean, we, we need the screwdriver. Listen, if we if we learn anything about sales, like you don't say truthful things. You you say stuff <laughs> to like close the deal, right? Like, you know, it's got to be truthful, as in it's truthful after they acquire the product, so you can get your uh, your ARR and everything. But I don't think there's ARR or CACs or anything when it comes to uh, cars. This is straight I'm, up I'm not... old school salesmanship. There's no TLAs. It's just like, do you have the money? or You don't have the money. That's it. No, done and. Uh, so therefore, you could just you know throw in the screwdriver for free, and I don't know, maybe you actually will have your daughter uh, drive it. Like, how old is she? <laughs> She's fifteen. Yeah, well, that's legal in Australia, right? So you can you know get around. Not quite, but yeah, we're getting there. Hmm. Well, my other question was: now, do you have like? It sounds like you might have like a typical Australian setup where like when you need to go driving, there's like a pyramid of steering wheels, and you go like grab one of them. And you stick it on the car, right? The this is type not of car Fury Road. No, oh, it's okay. just a regular old car. Uh, I just always assume that's the case. Software Defined Talk is brought to you by Mac Geek Gab. Today, I've got something for you Apple users. The Mac Geek Gab podcast. The show is in its 17th year providing tips, cool stuff found, and answers to your questions about anything and everything Apple. Yes, that's right. Hosts Dave Hamilton and John F. Brom take time each week to actually provide tech support to as many listeners as possible while learning at least five new things weekly themselves. The great part is that they always make sure each answer has actionable tips with easy instructions for listeners too. For example, dictating smiley face to Surrey will put the little text-based smiley emoji in your message. Saying reply with audio to Surrey will let you record an audio message, which is super handy if you're in the car and don't want to just dictate to text. If you use an iPhone, a Mac, an iPad, an Apple Watch, an Apple TV, or simply a technology enthusiast, you're going to love learning more about your technology with your two new favorite geeks over at Mac Geek Gab. Get your questions answered and have some fun along the way. Visit MacGeekGab.com or search for Mac Geek Gab on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't get caught without having Mac Geek Gab in your rotation. And we thank them for sponsoring our show. Well, I saw in the news that yet again, the uh, software-defined talk ad buying worked out for a company. Our, uh, you know, as, like the, the people over there at Postlight, which of course is uh, Paul Ford and uh, all of his friends. I, I just, as always, I note, I, I, uh, I always enjoyed his writing. Nowadays, train, wasn't it? Isn't it F train? Isn't exactly, that his, his exactly. Handle? And so I just—that's fantastic, right? He had the the last thing I remember reading from him that I mean, there's been other stuff. He has a newsletter, but I I thought it was like that's perfect. Is he uh, he was talking about how in his newsletter how uh, he had taken his two kids. He lives in like I don't know Brooklyn or some appropriate place like that, and he had taken his kids uh, across the bridge to like go to Manhattan for something fun. And he was like, oh, you know, it took them a lot of convincing. And so I ended up uh, having to negotiate having them go. So they have gained more time on their iPad. You know, we got hot dogs and cookies. And in exchange, I was able to take them to a, uh, a festival to have a good time. And that's basically the, the deal that I had to do with them. And, I, and I, I thought like that, isn't that just the way kids always are? You're trying to like do something nice for them and you've got to like pay them. To, to have a good time and all of that. But anyways, uh, it looks like NTT Data is buying them, which reminded me... Awesome. It's, all, it's all done. It's all done. Oh, yes, deal. yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess it's not like a big enough deal that they need to get like EU uh, approval or, or anything like that. But, uh, you know, it, it reminded me of... Uh, uh, I mean, NTT Data is different than Accenture, but you remember Accenture bought like one of Worley's companies? That, that was thrilling. I always wonder how that turned out. That was many years ago, If but... 
I, I guess I guess the idea is you know you get you get some of that uh, some fun digital design stuff up in the NTT data now Brandon. You know what's going on in the, uh, the 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 global outsourcer world. This kind of stuff. What what? Who is NTT Data? Well, I mean, I think they're you know one of like many potential. Uh, you know, I guess I think I'm like a large uh, you know data center provider and things like that. But I think NTT. I have to look this up. But I think they also like everything in Japan. I think is a big conglomerate, right? So I think yeah. they also bought. Um, I don't know if it's this they specific bought entity. They bought Indeed, though. Like, there's a company, you know, the job search engine uh, is owned by like a really big Japanese thing, and so it makes sense. I guess you know, to me, it's sort of like, you know, them buying Postlight is just a little bit of you know, probably like an, you know, a hiring talent, basically just acquiring talent, mm-hmm. and then of course, I think I'm sure they have clients that want to like have, if you will, you know, the most cutting edge, the best, you know, if you will, best thinkers in building out, you know, products and doing projects. So that part I think is interesting. But the thought, the part that I thought was even more interesting is like, okay, so Paul and Rich were the founders of it. Looks like they have really stepped back from it, and they were already in the middle of doing that, right? They had, they handed over the reins to uh, I think it's Gina Trefani, you know, once Trifani. of uh, she was uh, the life, life hacker, hacker, right? And now founder, she's yeah. the CEO, and so all right, so they're off running that, and I think you know her team is is doing that, so. But what I think is interesting is I got this note, uh, you know, because I'm on the mailing list, right? That says that Paul and Rich are going to launch a new service called, uh, I guess it's abroad.io. And it was like, you know, they're basically doing a big launch and they invited people in New York City to come by and see it. So one, I want somebody from the Software Defined Talk uh, community to go to this. But I just thought it was interesting because like, so there's no information on the the actual product other than it says here, it's just basically going to solve problems around collaboration. Right. And, um, and as they kind of allude to, like it's a mashup and this is, I'm reading almost verbatim best of Slack, Airtable, Google sheets, Dropbox, and similar tools. So, Mm. and I think this is just interesting because I think it's sort of like, we all want to solve the the problems that we encounter the most. Like I always think of coach a, like, you know, your dream is to build like the perfect note taking app, maybe, you know, like, you know, you have some specific <laughs> things you want. Yeah. I'm sure, Matt, I'm sure you have some pet projects, you know, I've, I've talked about calendars, whatever, right. There's some problem in all of our lives that you're like, man, I really think people need to do it my way. Right. Which is often the road to af- absolute failure, right? It's like assuming people want the thing that you want is like almost always a bad idea, I think. But I just think it's interesting here. So like what um, I just thought it'd be interesting, like a first take on this is like, you know, they've done this acquisition. They clearly have had frustration around, I'm just gonna call it collaboration. And they're gonna set out to fix this. So if they came to us just looking for advice, like we're gonna launch a new collaboration uh, uh, set of tools. Uh, and maybe we'll start with you, Matt. Like, what, what would we tell them? What advice would we tell them? Like, don't do it. Would we give them advice or would we say, yeah, go for it. It's a great idea. Matt Ray is flabbergasted yeah, by the possibilities of, of what you could be doing. I mean, I think, I think what I would tell them is like, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta fork your decision process here to, to, I mean, I, I'm over contextualizing the answer here, but like one, you gotta decide, do we want to fix the beast from within? It's a risk. You won't be able to do anything, but you're going to have a bigger effect, right? Like, I think we cited every now and then. I don't know what uh, what Javier Salter and his team did. They went, <laughs> they, went, they went in there, and they, like, did some important work, right? Like, they bought their Accompli uh, app in there, and if you use the Outlook app, it's kind of like Accompli, and it had evolved. And so they, I think they really did something to evolve, like, the big, gigantic thing along there, right? Or, you know... Because basically, if you if you go solve the beast, you're going to have to like invest in in some SSO right off the bat. So that's that's going to be a major product management decision. Or you you go down the whole like uh, you know product led growth thing, which means you're going to be selling to a bunch of small shops and departmental things. And that's that's where you just like you know you can go crazy solving the, these issues here. But I think I almost feel like and maybe I at first when you're listing all these things, I was having a very negative reaction to like all this stuff. But maybe. Maybe what they want to do, this what I maybe what I would recommend is there have been two goes at doing this. One, boy, I keep I keep I keep remembering these ancient these ancient Austin things, two that I that I know of. So there used to be spanning sync that Charlie Wood started. And the whole deal with spanning sync back then was that like you got all your Google, your Google contacts, contacts, and your Google like um uh drive and all of that. And it doesn't really sync into Apple world. 
So what if we just set some, we made a service that syncs between all your Google stuff and your Apple stuff, like way long ago, right? And then they found out eventually that what was valuable is to go to large companies and have a way of uh, backing up your Google stuff. You know, the old, like, <laughs> sure, sure, it's in the cloud, but what if the cloud goes down, right? And, and then you need to have Oh, what if Google back. shuts it down? Yeah, yeah. And, and so, like, I used Spanning Sync long, long ago to, like, sync up all that stuff, and it was great. So maybe, you know, and the, the other layer here out of collaboration is, like, basically, if you look at Tasktop, what Tasktop does, now owned by PlanView, I guess also in Austin, is they look at all this, like, project management goop and Atlassian, and then they, like, suck all the data out of everything in your, uh, your software development lifecycle and then they, they normalize it, and then they spit it back out to everything. So it all syncs up, right? And maybe if you took all these different applications and you're just like, you know what we're going to do? We're not going to build a new layer on top of it. We're just going to synchronize all the shit across of it, across it and just make sure that it, like, it kind of like has a way of uh, working with each, with each other. Because you know what we don't need is like another goddamn application. Right. So you're going like you went uh and i think you know your path is is sort of the enterprise path but it's also the path to money it's like hey don't don't try to reinvent the new way of doing this like you know if you will integrate into the ecosystem which i think is you know very much like the things that we talk about all the time but i do think the direct corollary would be i mean they're not going to do that let me be clear no no i agree i, I agree that but dream. i think the d- direct corollary would be 37 signals which started as a consultancy company right and then they built yeah. Basecamp, and then they transitioned to just being it and i don't know like you know Basecamp. i used it a few times mostly driven by like design teams that wanted to use it it was fine but it was very i, I did find it i never found it like um useful outside of a very small project right and also you know there's people that really really liked it so we just kind of used it because they wanted to use it i never personally found like i want to carry Basecamp into anything yeah. else so so that's what I think is going on here. And it's like, I guess it's not bad. I mean, Basecamp is still, I know they've it even branched out. It supports the mail. whole company. They changed the name. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, obviously so, it's, it's making them money. They're, yeah, they're, so, they're still talking a lot. Yeah. So then, and, and they did Haymail, right? So that's their, their other hey thing. Mail. And so it's like, okay, I mean, that, that can make sense. So maybe that's, if that's the goal and maybe that would be the question to ask like Paul and Rich would be like, well, what's your goal here? Is it like a niche based tool for collaboration? That's really, you know, good around consulting and, and, that would, you know, make total sense. Or are you trying to really take on, you know, all these things? But the fact that they list all of these other things in their description of it, right, is is interesting to me. It's like, yeah, well, they clearly know who they're they're going to be competing with, and like all these tools exist. And um, and I, I don't know. I just think to me, it's like if you'll, I don't know. I guess it teeters on that edge of like vanity project. Like, hey, you've got money, like why not try to build it? Versus like, no, no, we're really. Because the other t- takeaway you can take away from like having started something is like, hey, you know how hard it is to build something and how hard it is to vet out problems. Don't pick a problem that's close to you. Go go search out problems that are really pervasive that maybe you don't know about, right? That would be another way for them to come up with an idea. But I don't know. Well, I'm interested is, to watch. Is there even a lot of money here? I mean, that that to me, that's the thing. It's like I could see you getting a decent number of subscribers, but it's a crowded market and there's a lot of competition that the you can't charge that much for it because it's a crowded market. There's a lot of competition. It's it's an opinionated product and you're not going to meet everyone's opinion. So it it screams Vandy Project. I mean or what? not Vandy Project, lifestyle business, right? I mean, see yeah, this I'm is sure. where this, this is where having a little bit of celebrity helps, right? Like I remember, Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like you, you know when Slack was starting, it's like, "Oh, it's that Stuart Butterfield thing," right? Like or you or know, hey, like, you know, we yeah, or, or the hey right? thing. And so like it's good to have, you know, some notoriety to go into this because you don't want to be like, oh, it's a, it's, it's a collaboration yeah. suite that really takes advantage of the, the synergies between Airtable and uh, Google Sheets and like I mean, so cause, forth and so on. When I put that product out, you know, when, the, when, when Raymail comes out, nobody cares. And, you know, <laughs> you know all, all, all of that cynicism said, right? Like I've, they had, um, well, I'm sure Postlight still does, but they had a few little like tiny applications, like something to make like a calendar and things like that, right? And I would use those tiny apps every now and then. And they're, they're like, they were nice. They were, you could tell that like, well, I mean, thought I think, out, right? Yeah. yeah solved they, a they, really they, small problem really well, right? Exactly. And, and, and that, that comes from the people who develop them, use them, right? And so like, you could imagine being in a consultancy, all these things they list. There's like all these tools as a consultancy working with other similar size companies or large ones that you just have to like work with and so you have firsthand experience of like 
basically the uh, cross-organization collaboration stuff, which what they don't tell you in the uh, the big EULA meetings for your collaboration stuff is all those problems exist inside large organizations as well because they're basically like just a bunch of small organizations and consultancies working with each other with their, their different formats. So, you know, chances are high. Maybe they'll come up with something new and, uh, and interesting, which, which would be exciting. Well, we need someone, all the help we can get. I was going to say, if someone does go to the meeting in New York, I guess I would ultimately like to see, and maybe it's more a question around their pitch deck if they're raising money for it. It's like, is the outcome, are they trying to like draw an analogy to like Slack or Alassian, right? Like Jira, like, hey, like, hey, we believe we've you know unlocked the next big thing. Uh, or what's the one from the Facebook company? Uh, founder, I forgot the name of that product. Uh, anyway, that's really big too. It's like, Sana uh, yeah, Sana, right? Is it like, is that what they're going for, or is it more like uh, we were saying before? It's like Basecamp or whatever, a much smaller thing. So, I guess it's really kind of like success will be determined by their income, their incoming aspirations. And so, I don't know. I'm interested to see what happens there too. Well, I like I like that they have the word workflow in it. I'm, I'm into <laughs> that. I think if, I think if you see workflow, you're just a you're just a few years away from writing batch job. And then you're going to be solving the real problems. That's where the real money flow. is. I love it. Job. Well, meanwhile, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure they experience this and we have. It, it looks like they're, I, you know, I didn't go check on, on the research. But I think, I think the whole commentary around quiet quitting is over, right? Uh, we're kind of done with that. And then, and then we had, uh, we had, we had the, 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 um, the backlash on that, which was, um, I think, quiet firing was a was a funny uh response to that but it looks like studies show i don't know what these studies are that in america because of less commuting because of remote work we've gotten 60 million commuting hours back in in aggregate not not per individual uh and and so it does seem like I, i i think i think this is one of those things that's representative of the executive culture at work right whereas Whereas, you know, as we've explained many times, maybe just due to like management styles and whatever, and also the fact that many executives just like, you know, work all the time. So what do they care? Like they don't necessarily see the value uh, that comes from working remotely, the trade-offs, if you will. Right. And I don't know. I remember my dad before all of this era that we currently live in because he's dead and lived in the past, uh, but like... <laughs> You know, he would drive like 40, 60 minutes a day between oh, yeah. uh, between IBM, which which uh, for for those people new to Austin is where the domain is now. Uh, and so he would drive that long all the way up to Georgetown. And, and it did seem pretty crazy. And so almost from a worker's perspective, you know, if I if I were to propose to any worker, how about you get paid exactly the same and you get two hours back of your life a day, a, a work day? I think the worker would be like, sounds awesome, right? Yeah, because yeah. the thing is, this is what the, the executives who want you to be the, in, the, in the office don't tell you. They don't pay you for those two hours. Those no, are like, uh, th- that's unpaid labor that you're doing there. And so really, I think maybe the spreadsheet we need to make is that if you're working from home, you're getting, you know, this is, this is the kind of stuff, uh, you know, you would do in an enterprise software sales thing in a spreadsheet, just kind of making up numbers here. But I think basically the worker is getting two hours payback. Uh, well, of their time, but and and then let's discount the time, like because this whole idea that like you should value your time on an hourly rate based on what you get paid is like kind of stupid. But and, let's and, discount and, it down to like half, and then you're well, probably and, set there. And it's not even that big, uh, that many people. When you when you take sixty million people, there's mm. six, sixty million hours, and you think, you know, people are if if we assume people were commuting five days a week and now it's zero, that's only like two hundred thousand people. Wow, you know if they're driving out, right? Yeah. (laughs) So basically, the this is the population. Yeah, this this is a population of Hobart. Is is what we're looking at here. But I do think you know we talk about digital transformation so much. I do think you know it's just a great um, little I don't know little nugget. It's like I was trying to think of like where we would we'd start it. So I looked up WebEx was founded in 1995. So you can kind of say like WebEx, obviously email existed before, some version of chat, IRC existed before, and then we'll, you know, kind of like file sharing and, and things like that. So so basically, you know, since we've been working on this problem for a while, let's say just pick 1995 as the starting point. So you could say, I don't know, roughly 25 years, you know, 
there are all these online collaboration tools and all forms have been created. And it was like, in a weird way, the pandemic sort of like revealed, it's like, okay, what would that result in? Well, 60 million convening hours uh, saved. And it's like, that's pretty awesome, right? I mean, it's, I don't know if you think of it that way, but it's like, that is a, a good for the awesome thing for everybody, right? Oh, yeah. Good for the environment. I, I would. Yeah. Yeah. And that, maybe not so good for, uh, you know, when my dad was driving, as I've, I think I've noted over the years, he would, uh, well, I was with him. So the inventory uh, uh, increased by one on one of these things. I'll let you guess which one. Although with my dad, who knows? But he would always buy a, uh, a tall boy in a brown paper bag and then, and then a, uh, a sausage wrap from Red's gas station. So I think Red's gas station is going to be suffering here. Uh, but, you know, maybe, maybe that's, well, that's for the better. And our good friends, uh, the, the car, car dealers, right? Oh, the car dealers. They're going to be more high pressure, Matt Ray. Or, or oh, maybe, maybe they're going to be, you know, the, the sales will require so much effort and be so difficult that they're going to be they're going to be very specific about how qualified this buyer is, and they're they're going to ask you if you commute to work, right? And if you don't have the commuting to work, they're going to be like, I don't I don't have time for this. Let's let's <laughs> we're, we got We're going to kick this back to the funnel the, feeders and the, tell them the, they the need the challenger to, sales model. Like, yeah, we we only need you don't qualified have a leads. To solve. Yes, yeah. yeah. And, and, so I, maybe I, I want to be I want to help you, but you don't even need help. Yeah. Have you, have you, you know, maybe you can improve your life if you commute to work. I want to challenge you <laughs> with, with that, with that idea. So, well, that, that's, uh, that's good to know. You know, I think, I think it also means that at least I have been benefiting for a long time from uh, not having to commute. Although, Although it does leave out the question, I guess, on this whole thing is like, it does seem like the most of the most articles I feel like we read about um, people want to come in in uh, back to the office and maybe this is just because like and it's a little bit of a bubble it's like i just feel like the tech companies are the ones I always like hear about like so and so trying to get you know companies back in it's some kind of tech company so it is sort of interesting that like the companies that made all of this technology possible right <laughs> are seem to be the ones like at, at times that are at least most vocally opposed to like you know you know continuing to do the remote stuff like well, even that you know google next but that uh, that's what i like is, is for every company that's like you know like apple's like oh everyone needs to come back to our fancy new office you have others that are like sell the buildings we're done we're going full remote you know and, and true. i mean there are like, like plenty of those too i say yeah, but it is yeah. funny like when google like you know they launch um two things that, that we i saw last week it was like one they launched uh like you know some updated stuff to their like online um like google meet which is fine which is good and then the other one was like they had <laughs> these so uh they're uh what was it they had like uh these like private booths i don't know some of them there's like pictures like there's like these kind of like private booths you could go into do oh, video they're, conferencing they're, they're like so they're making like VR a big deal out of thing. it like and but you know they're a company that's sort of trying to get people back to the office too so it's all it is a little i don't know i don't know if hypocritical is the right word but it's just sort of it's just always interesting it's like you know do you do are you doing what you say right it's like you're no, building all these to tools <laughs> but then uh yeah exactly it's like kind of back to the car dealer right it's like well you don't even drive this car you don't even have these features like why do i why do you think i want them so so i don't know <laughs> i don't uh, want to talk to a car dealer who doesn't commute at least three hours a day yeah i mean maybe that's the truth it's like you don't even have a car like what's going on there so i don't know so we'll see how it all plays out but it's, it's interesting riding a bicycle <laughs> it, it'd be cool remember they had those <clears throat> people don't bring this up in this discussion of the metaverse but maybe google still has it but remember they had those like cardboard vr glasses that you could uh -huh. just like yeah, put yeah, your yeah. phone into. They, maybe they could, uh, whoever worked on that for them, they could do that for like uh, work at home video booths. You just get shipped like <laughs> like kind of a, an Ikea no, flat pack of cardboard, cardboard box. And you, and you pop like it. it up. And and like, you know, there, there's like, you can put your Chromebook in there. And you'll like, be like, no, 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 kids. This is daddy's meeting for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I got to say, my, my, my kids would love that. I, you know, they, they would, I would have this big cardboard thing in here and they would be like, now dad, you're always telling me that we can't keep all that card, those cardboard boxes from Amazon, but it looks like you are doing that. And, I, and to exactly. your point, Matt, right. It had to be like, no, 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 no. This is for my work. Like, <laughs> Although like all... you bring up an interesting question. Like, I guess, you know, Meta's spending what, like 10 billion on the whole metaverse initiative. It's like, man, talk about all in would be like, nope, we're selling the offices everything is now done like they do all of their work in the metaverse right everyone gets those new headsets the new oculus and it's not oculus whatever it's called now um yeah. that would be wow that would be talk about an all-in bet on a technology that would be like okay let's see you do it right i mean that'd be, that'd be crazy you're gonna miss them when they're gone yeah the ultimate dog fooding <laughs> they they should do that i think that is uh 
That's like a Professor Scott What's His Face take right there. It's Galloway. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I'm gonna stop shorting this company when they move totally into the metaverse. I think I think would be uh I think he, he could go for that. Well now, speaking of Google Cloud Next, there's two items I think that we left hanging from last week, Brandon, that uh, that you noticed. What 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 are these two items that uh, you wanted to pull over to this week? Yeah, well, just to like, I just thought, you know, sometimes talk about Google always wanting to like maybe change like how people do things. And I thought both of these were kind of stuck out to me as they're sort of, I don't know, I viewed them as very pragmatic. So one of them was uh, dual run on the mainframe side, right? Which was their ability to, instead of like, you know, most people would say like, hey, you know, rebuild your mainframe application, rebuild the monolith into, you know, some type of cloud native application. But in this case, they're just going to let you, if you will, take the application, run it on their mainframes run it in, you know, if you will, in staging for as long as you want. And then slowly, as you kind of get confidence in it, um, if you will, eventually turn off your mainframe and let everything run on the the mainframes hosted in Google Cloud. So I just thought it was like very, like, it's just very simple. It's not like, Like, uh, well, I I guess my whole point is saying, obviously I haven't done it, so I can't say it, but I said most mainframe modernization pitches I'm either a part of or I see require a lot of change, right? Whereas this is sort of like, Hey, we're we're not going to try to take all that COBOL and re, redo it. We're going to help you move the workload and then let you get off the mainframe, but you don't have to do the modernization. So, mm. very pragmatic, simple to understand. I'm interested to see how it takes off. But Matt, you have some questions. Well, they, I mean, am I missing? Like, I don't see IBM listed as the partner, right? So, are they are they just moving the workloads and leaving the mainframes behind? I thought you said that they were had their own mainframes that you could transition to. And then they I was do. like, are they, yeah, emula- no, that's- are they emulating mainframes or are they doing workload? Tra- no, uh, I mean, trans- I think they've got, I, I'm going to have to do a little bit more research now that you asked me some hard questions, but like, yeah, my understanding is like, you can basically, you know, move it over and run it like without making any changes. So that, like that to me is, is, is just like, it's sim- like I said, simple to understand. And like, it seems like, you know, it's just like, I guess some version of the strangler pattern, if you will, it's just sort of like, yeah, just run it right over here. And when you're, when you feel like it's ready, it's uh, ready to be turned off. You can do it. So I like it. I like the idea at least. Right, I, right, this, right. I think this is services. I think like because because Amazon partnered with uh, is it Tata or, or uh, HCL to do like all the you know migration of mainframe workloads to AWS. I think this is Google just offering it as a service as well. Hmm. I don't. So I don't think it, they actually have mainframes in the building. Oh come on! Sure, they they got to have some. They went down to that uh, that uh, that San Jose Computer Museum and they, they picked them up. <laughs> they, they went down to the Palo Alto Goodwill and picked up some Z series and. Yeah, well, no, I, I you know I you think know what, this is migration. What's most exciting about this now? I know everything's going all right with with uh, the situation that currently is going on there, but in case things go south at, at IBM, I think JJ has a job in his future lined up. <laughs> like he, he can he can easily move over there oh, he, talking about the fine. cobalt. He's fine. Yeah. So I, I think I think more those mainframes ain't going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well that this is a good question. We need to figure out if there are mainframes running in the Google Cloud and uh <laughs> and how that's working out. Or or maybe they just have some really killer uh, mainframe emulation stuff. I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I'm just reading here. It does say, like, it will make um, your move easy from many mainframe technologies, including IBM Z and yeah, IBM. It's a services uh, so, so, yeah, no, I think you're, I think, I, I, I mean, I, I, I can definitely fair. see it, Your skepticism is warranted. I think you're, you're yeah, uh, I, I could definitely see a blending of, of services and emulation, but. I can't see them having and, these and, and boxes then, in the building. And then maybe like what you're saying, right? Like the the strangler load balancer thing, right? Where like, oh yeah, absolutely. You just, you just are slowly moving traffic over. You rub there. some anthos on it, you're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's exciting. Well, how, how about the other thing? What's what's this cloud workstation? This business? cloud workstations. I'm to me, it's table stakes, man. Everybody's got the cloud IDEs. I mean, uh, Amazon bought somebody who does it. You know, you got your Git pods. You got uh, Google. Uh, GitHub has it, Azure has it. Um, everyone has cloud workstations. Uh, I mean, they they've got branded IDEs. That's kind of cool, I guess. You know, they you can get yourself uh, uh, some some JetBrains stuff. Um, you know, well, that was uh, the like one I guess LJ. I wanted you. You know, I guess you answered the question. I was like, I thought it was interesting just from the point of view of like they were just emphasizing like, hey, you can just set up like JetBrains and IntelliJ and Visual yeah, Studio that to was just nice. work essentially just work remotely, right? So take advantage of those. So configure IDE to basically, you know, 
you're locally using the ID, but it's all connected remotely. So it's sort of like kind of just some middle ground, like rather than trying to like build out a whole new, you know, IDE that you, you know, access over the web. It's just like, no, use the exact same tools, configure them to do everything remotely. And it's like the experience could probably, now this is the part I don't know. It's like, it's, you know, the pitch is sort of like the experience, like will just kind of be like it is locally. Now, can't say that. Now I've done some stuff myself, not like this, but just sort of like using like a, a Docker, like, you know, sort of a Docker server and then just like edit like kind of on your machine, but really use the Docker to run stuff. And it's like, mm. that seems to work pretty well. And also like, I don't know, I just like the idea of like, no, we're not going, like, I didn't want to see another IDE. Like, and someone would be like, here's another IDE that you should move everything to. The fact that like, this was like, hey, we'll just use exactly what's there. That seemed pretty pragmatic to, well, as well. It, 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 it's pragmatic, but also it's it's kind of funny because, you know, they've got the, the obviously a partnership with JetBrains to, to bring in all their IDs. But then they're like, uh, we're going to use the open the OSS code. So instead of using uh, Visual Studio code, you know, which is open source, they use the, you know, unbranded version of it. Um, and, you know, and they've got them, but no Emacs. Uh. <laughs> Well, it, no, is it, if you did it, it for Emacs, like I guess, Matt, how wouldn't you just like mount the like mount the files and then just connect I, via the shell? I is don't that, need them to worry about Emacs. You don't users. even care, right? I mean, like, I was yeah, say, I don't even care. Yeah. Like people from Emacs, I, I just think doing it's this forever, right? Yeah, I just so, think it's funny that you know they've got you know them, but uh, well, but I don't, I is, isn't, these... isn't Google's like uh, development tool chain like famous for basically being like really fancy like VDI? Like when you get when you get your developer workstation set up, that's all this is. is yeah. Isn't it like you're like they somehow have figured out how to do development like over the network or something? Which maybe it's not a big deal to figure out, but like that seems like it would be valuable. As like you know, I mean, I guess if you just have figured out how to get like uh, over the internet virtual desktop stuff to work well. That that would be a good example of what we were talking about earlier. Is like, why don't you just fix the broken shit that exists already? And oh yeah, and like, yeah. You know, no, this this totally this totally has that. You know, you're inside a VPC. You you know, it's over. Um, you know, it's over a VPN. You've got access to. You know, you can apply IAM rules on top of it. It's all locked down. You're in. You're in your environment, so it's it's safe for external users. I mean, there's definitely a market for this. Yeah, I'm not pooing it as a concept i'm just saying like everyone else already had it plus emacs if you just mount a directory <laughs> nobody <laughs> has emacs but you, you know what emacs users we don't care uh, <laughs> that would be pretty amazing i, I mean are, is there any commercial integration or usage of emacs or like i mean i oh, guess you know it's, it's, you it's know, under somebody like... somewhere is is like you know you know there's some dude in a basement who's like you know, he he's uh, he's taking he's splitting time between you know supporting NTP and Emacs as a professional IDE and you know some GCC extension and he's making like you know four hundred thousand dollars a year doing the dirty work nobody else cares about. Yeah, because I guess I guess you know because it's old school GPL, you couldn't really fork it and make money no, but off of it you can totally and, do services but but no. it, does 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 the, the does the gpl license infect down to like doing like e-list stuff so like if i make if i make like i don't even remember what they're called in emacs if don't i make, make me like look a, at the licensing if i make if an emacs GPL3, plugin maybe yeah yeah because even then isn't e-list like dy dynamically evaluated so it wouldn't trigger the static linking <sighs> well Cote, that's you've been GPL? away from emacs for a while uh, uh, you can now compile your Perl e now or something. No, you can compile your ellipse for for speed, and uh, so the latest Emacs uh, compiles that stuff, so it's a lot faster. I mean, with the processors nowadays, like these ellipse people must have just been going crazy if they're worried yes. about speed for like for like yeah. I just can't imagine <laughs> that like a technology from the late '80s is like this is still operating pretty slow on these uh, these new chips. Like, it, no, it must be blazing fast. Yeah, it's okay. it's it's plenty fast. Well, that dashes my dreams of uh, you know building a solid multi-million dollar business around Elisp. You, you'll have you have to go back to making a an Asana competitor using oh. your your name awareness. Yeah, yeah. I mean that 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 reminds me. That's another example of just like you know. I mean Trello is great, but like do do we need more of that? Like it's just like you try to get people to use Trello and it just does doesn't work out well. We should have just fixed Microsoft Project. I've heard good things about Linear. Well is linear is that is that i don't even know what that is 
Is that, is that a different <laughs> we'll system? Have to, of, of we'll have to share that in the notes. Linear, a better way to build products. Well, uh, speaking of, uh, you know, paying attention to your, your cloud setups and how, how you're working there, I think uh, you pointed to somewhere, Matt Rigg. Uh, well, it was from, it was from the, uh, the platypus people. Like a, a great notion of like, tell me if I got this right. But when it comes to cost, uh, you know, doing your cost analysis of cloud, there's two things I learned from this article. One yeah. was that you don't want to have a finance person do it, uh, which, which I think, I think don't want to have a finance person do it. Anyone in engineering would say, I don't even know what it is you're talking about. I agree. Like, I just yes. don't want them involved in any decisions that involve my life. Uh, and to that point, and tell me if this is true, Matt Ray, what, what, what the, the platypus people were saying, it was the other one, not, not the, uh, the one who does the funny videos. Uh, and he, the, he was saying, uh, basically, uh, it's, it's your, in, your developers have shitty architectures that are costing you a lot of money. And that, that yeah. is where, that's where, never mind all the, uh, all the idle instances running. In this one time we did it, it only affected like 1% of costs, which I could see that that would be true. Right. Well, right. It, it was more of a relative thing of like, compared to all the other costs you have, this one is small, right? Like, let's imagine we just took like $3 bills Australian or American and lit them on fire. Meanwhile, you've got this bonfire of several hundred thousand dollar bills over here. So don't worry about the $3 bills that, that, that are lit on fire. Yeah. I mean, something like that. The, uh, the article that, that, uh, you're talking about, it's uh, why cloud finance is broken and ineffective by, uh, by the Mike Julian at the duck bill group. So he's, mm-hmm. he's the CEO, I think, or he and Corey are, are kind of the, the co founder partners whatever and so my Um, immediate thought matt ray was like this is what you're working on right kind of yeah i mean um and and you know i i I shared this link and and everyone was you know pretty much in agreement a lot of the savings and cost usage are not going to come from um like oh you know you should have bought more reserved instances or you know you you had these inefficient um you know, you, you left this stuff running. I mean, yes, there, there are savings to be had there, but a lot of, a lot of the day-to-day costs are just the way your application is architected. And if you're going to make large savings, you know, the architecture of how you built your application needs to take advantage of more cost-effective thing, um, built-in features of the cloud. So, you know, the the day to day inefficiencies are where the real savings are not like oh you know if we could just you know you know you you, you can't you know do a subscription plan to 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 save your bacon it's not gonna it's not right, gonna be right, the, right. the big bang right so, there's like there there's there's no cures in the spreadsheets right that's that's, that's not that's not <laughs> well you know problems, which right. isn't to say like like you definitely I I you know I was with a customer earlier today who was spending three million a month and it's like you know mm-hmm. what there there's savings in that spreadsheet like you know you could go and you know pay for you know your your spreadsheet monkeys to to you know their salaries based off of just you know working that 3 million a month but the reason they're spending that much money is they have a really you know a couple of really large applications that you know have data consumption patterns that might not be efficient or you know the, the, yeah, essentially, it was like you know the way your application is architected is probably driving the, the prime uh, the majority of costs, and so you know uh, architecture drives cost is, is the takeaway, and mm-hmm. and that's you know that that's known, which is why most of us are are you know talking about like how do we make your applications more efficient? Yeah, yeah, it se- it seems like uh, we're always trying to like make up for goofy developers. Well, most developers don't care about this stuff. They're just like, you know, hey, throw my code up there and let it let it rip. And, you know, and then later on, somebody needs to, you know, look at the actual cost of this and say, well, you know, you're letting it rip on this service that's crazy expensive. Maybe we could re-architect it to do it this way or, you know. It does seem like we've talked about a couple of things, you know, Google and Amazon, right? All these like developer experiences teams. And so I don't know, it feels like more and more people are at least looking at it and you mentioned like absolutely a a few times ago like uh i don't know cost camp or cost cutting camp or right you know so like it it definitely seems like hey there's more focus now than ever like hey let's go back and either make what we're doing simpler or 
at least look at like what tools we're using and make it cheaper. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we over at uh, my day job at KubeCost, you know, we're, um, we announced like a SaaS of, of our product. And we also took the, you know, the, the single installation product and said, you know, anyone can use this for as many clusters as you want for free. So we're just saying like, Hey, let's, Observe, you know, reporting is commoditized. Let's make sure everyone can at least see this stuff because then we can start moving on to like, you know, the optimizations and, you know, the conversations about how to save money. And that's, that's more useful. You know, after, after like the whole, the whole DevOps thing, we're like, we got to get these developers to make like things more operations friendly. And then, and then recently last year, we had the whole DevSecOps things for these developers don't know how to like secure their applications. And now we've got this notion that these developers are writing their applications and they cost too much. I feel like the next stage is going to be like, the, we need a, a thought leader class. We need to go to the operations people and be like, look, just learn to program and get rid of these developers. Right, get, rid of, get rid of the <laughs> you know, developers. Yeah. yeah, everything, all these problems are caused by developers. It's just like there, there, there's a common thread in all of these issues for the past 20 years of supporting customer written software. And maybe we should instead of instead of the delicious layer of utilitarian fat around these precious application developers maybe we just need to focus on replacing the the tasty meat at the middle and <laughs> you know, figure out how you to know how you really stuff. save money you just don't run anything <laughs> <laughs> that's right that, that that could be that too we'll go back to uh, we'll go back to paper like that twilight zone episode where the guy breaks his glasses once he's uh, able to read everything that's probably what will uh, end up happening that, that would be tragic. Now, now before before we we get towards the 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 uh, the end here, our bureaucracy and recommendations. I think I think we should give ourselves the pleasure of dreaming next Monday, Matt Ray and Brandon. What's going to happen when we update our uh, you know our our Mac OS operating system? Well, at least those of us, <laughs> yeah, not me. <laughs> th- those of us who are not working on uh, fully corporate managed laptops that that seem to lag behind. I might have to go. Uh, unmanage one of my laptops to uh, in- enjoy the experience here. But I think the iPad will be updated as well. So oh. so we can see what's going yeah, on. Yeah, new there. iPads. You can go buy a new iPad now. They have some new ones out there. So Yes, yeah, I, I, saw, I saw they released one that has, they, they still have the good pencil on the Pro and the old pencil on the other ones. But then the old pencil switched over to a USB-C uh, thing. And like on the one hand, it's like, well, you know, you're trying to advance towards USB-C. But then on the other hand, it's like uh, no one wins when it comes to like <laughs> to to like you know USB and, uh, and I think cables. the memory. I think everyone the mem- loses. The memory on the iPads is always just Apple's you know attempt to just stick it to you. It's like you can have sixty four or two fifty six. What do most of us really need? One twenty eight, right? I feel like the same thing on the the uh, the MacBooks. It's like you can have two fifty six, which isn't really usable for anything for any long period of time, right? And it's like that's where it just feels like the NBAs they won, right? They're like we're going to put this price point here, and everyone's going to pick the more expensive one. So we shall. So see. I I have been thinking now what they have in photo. I've been spending a lot of time with my, my photo library. For, first tip I want to tell people, if you find yourself like, so I wanted to migrate all my stuff to photos because you know I'm, to Apple photos because you know I'm trying to live the, uh, the Apple Default. lifestyle. Default lifestyle, baby. With, with, with some footnotes as people like to point out. But what I found out is that if you get to about like 60, 65,000 photos in your library, right? When you go to these tools where you want to pull in images from your library, takes a long time to load. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing, but like I go in to use like whatever Spark is called uh, or Canva or something, and I have to sit there wait, waiting and waiting to uh, just pick one of the videos out. But there is some feature I think they'll have, which is finally, and there's a lot of Apple stuff like this. Finally, uh, someone was like, "Hey, if you have set up a family, you might want to just share photos with with each other, like that crazy company Google does with their Google Photos." Now. That will be fun, but my concern is the following. Like, I feel like, uh, you know, I don't think there's anything weird going on in, in the rest of my family's photos, as far as I can tell. But, like, I've got, you know, 65,000 photos in there uh, so far. And, like, I feel like I'm going to share these photos, and Kim is going to look up and be like, why do you have, why, why all of a sudden do I have 5,000 pictures of receipts from 2008? <laughs> in, in yeah, my, in you kind of got to go in and clean that up. Yeah. Yeah, but but maybe some but, AI can fix that for you. So so like is it but I feel nervous about deleting these receipts. Like like Well, you can keep them I in your own library. 
you can, I guess it's, it just depends on how much work you want to do. It sounds like you're either going to, well, I think one, you'll have to determine like maybe Kim, like think about this, like who sees the family photo album? Like, that's oh, your first question, right? It's like, maybe yeah. it'd be better to go the in. other way. Like Kim you is gotta, sort of got to beat the rush. Yeah. You know, maybe Kim has all the, the family photos and then you sort of just add to it over time. Cause everyone can, can, can maintain their own library as well, but like there is going to be, the you know basically the administrator like who's who's the master library so that's your first question i see i, I, see. I agree with you i don't know i you talk about want, not wanting to go first right this seems like you know uh the matt ray uh trademark uh late adopter strategy here it's like i want to hear 50 of my friends have uh gone through the migration to family photos and telling me like what works and what doesn't i definitely don't want to be the first out of the gate on this yeah, well, I'm I'm also hoping that there's going to be a surprise reveal that in, in uh, Apple Notes you can add your own custom background, <laughs> which I, I think I think that would be great, or or just a simple feature that app by app you can decide to use dark mode or not. Mm. That 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 would be fun. And well, I feel like when this is coming out, maybe Matt, I, I kind of thought I'd ask you. It's like you know, because you did find, did you finally upgrade? You're on Monterey, right? Because I'm on Monterey. Monterey. Yeah. Okay, so, so I, I waited till the second or third release of it i guess before you got it so i i was just thinking and i had a hard time coming up with this either and i was like can can you name a feature on monterey that you're like you're like i'm really happy i have it like i, I had a difficult time coming up with anything that was uh i like i know there are tons of stuff here but it, it doesn't i don't know it's one of those things where it's like it doesn't after yeah. a year it's very hard to point back to anything i don't know you yeah yeah i mean the ventura I, I see that they have that camera you know iphone camera thing but mm-hmm. You know, I've got camo, so you know they sure like that. So I don't know. I'm maybe the photo sharing stuff if I notice it. Uh, yeah, because I've I've got that too, but I just I don't know. Yeah, I, there's nothing you're dying be, for, basically. Right? There's so nothing I'm dying for. The controversy so I, I've read about seems to be. I guess I've made a lot of changes to uh, what system settings. So ooh. I don't know. People have been very harsh. Our system ooh, was it. It's system preferences and the Mac well, app system preferences that people have been very harsh. They feel like it, it is a, and, a and huge I, change. I, I have MacBook Airs in my family that uh, will not be supported by Ventura. So yeah. they're, oh, they're dropping yeah. off the support schedule. Oh, oh, no. The legacy, the legacy migration legacy. starts for the, the Matt Ray family. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. Well, speaking of the legacy migration, do we have any bureaucracy this episode, Brandon? Uh, just a couple things here. One, I sent uh, JC stickers in California, so appreciate uh, him writing in. And if you'd like a sticker, all you have to do is send your postal address uh, to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. And as always, if uh, you want to see the live feed of this that's got all the pre-show and the post-show and a lot of unedited, unedited stuff in it, you can always check us out on the YouTube channel. The link for that episode will be in the show notes as well. Well, there's also, uh, as always, many conferences coming up. Matt yep. Ray is going to be at uh, KubeCon North America in Detroit, which it and turns have out. Stickers. Oh, he'll have stickers. And it's also very close to Canada. Uh, like, like <laughs> I, it, it, I could see it from my, my, uh, my house. <laughs> That's right. And then we obviously, as listeners know, have Spring One Platform, Spring One Platform coming up December 6th to 8th. That's going to be in uh, San Francisco. I think we, uh, as of today, we have the full schedule posted, so you can go check out sessions. There's all sorts of uh, great talks there. I was just seeing one from uh, one of the people we work with at the U.S. Army, where they're going to talk about how they secure everything. And I was thinking, you know, if the U.S. Army doesn't need to secure it, you probably don't need to worry about it either. So, uh, But if you want to go there, you can go to springone.io and check, look through the sessions. And when you register, you can use the code COTE200 to get yes. $200 off. And there's that conference coming up January 16th to the 19th. I think they still have their uh, call for papers or whatever they want to call it set up. And then there will be the Cloud Native Security Con all in camel case. Uh, in, uh, that's be, that'll be in North America in Seattle, which is in North America. I don't know. They probably, if they squint, can see Canada from there. Uh, that's going to be February 1st to 2nd. So you should check that out as well. And, uh, you know, also, if you want to get the show notes, we went over all sorts of stuff we didn't talk about. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 382, you can get on our Slack. Or there's a nice, lively community where we talk about all these things during the week. And uh, you can also go to the show notes and see things that we didn't talk about, all sorts of other fun stuff there. Now, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this episode? 
All right. Well, it's F1 week here in Austin. So uh, I will give everybody that's visiting from outside the United States. Here's my uh, my food recommendation. You should go to Interstellar Barbecue, which is a little bit it's outside of this uh, the downtown. So you have to be a little bit of a drive. Uh, you can get all the barbecue. It's all good, of course. But the thing I wanted to recommend was the peach tea pork belly when it's available. So it's not every day. I think it's mostly on the weekends. But uh, of course, you have the the brisket and all of that. Uh, that's you know always good, but like I really like this uh, pork belly stuff that they make. And so, in, in a, for those really in the know, Interstellar Barbecue used to be Noble Pig, so I feel uh, like they've got some expertise in, if you will, in the in the pig. So uh, check that out if you're looking for something to eat, or if you're just in Austin in general. And then also last week, I promised that I would give you my one minute review of uh, Coin, a founder story. This is the uh, the movie uh, that was about Brian Armstrong, and I would give it. I'm going to give it one point five stars out of five. So there you wow, go. I thought it was. Uh, I'll give it like the movie really well made, just from a, a perspective of like, wow, it's cool to see like a professional <laughs> Hollywood that movie. That film made. really stayed intact. Yeah, I don't know. I just see because it's about like like a, such a. I don't know, esoteric subject. I was like, wow, this is like a really, like it's a professional film. So that part was good. That was, uh, but everything else was just like, yeah, it was just basically his stories. Didn't really tell, didn't go into any of like kind of the, you know, details around like Bitcoin and more importantly, kind of the questions. Right. And it's just sort of like, just tells kind of the typical story that I think Brian Armstrong wants you to believe. Right. Sort of like, Hey, you know, he's uh, he, he went out, he had this idea, wants to help people to transfer money. And it just doesn't like, it's just very one-sided. And then your, fr- your friend, uh, Scott Galloway, makes a very brief appearance into it as well, Cote. But it's just a very one-sided film, just kind of, you know, very forgettable. So definitely would, only if you uh, want to just see something that you probably already know about, check it out. But other than that, most people probably should skip it. Well, I, li- I like, it's the third time. It sounds like this summer uh, they're going to do my favorite way of, of uh, introducing new software, which is to fix shit that already exists. And uh, if, if, they, if all that stuff goes through to actually like uh, set up transfers in the States, just make them like European transfers, that would be great. That would be the best maybe two-page requirements document from the Federal Reserve. It would just say like a bunch of text, and it would say, make transfers work like they do in Europe. Done. And and then that gets sent out. Can you imagine all the consultancy firms and, and lawyers who would have to like interpret that and the ways it would come out? <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, well, how about yourself, Matt Ray? What do you have to recommend? Uh, so my recommendation is, uh, it's kind of a pre-recommendation. Um, there's a series coming to Amazon uh, called The Peripheral. Uh, it's based off the William Gibson novel. Um, it was one of my favorite William Gibson novels of the, like, the last... 20 years or whatever. Uh, I mean, he's generally pretty good, but I think the peripheral and uh, agency at the sequel were um, some of his best work in a long time. And uh, everything I've seen, I- I'm excited about this. So I'm going to, I'm going to give it a pre-recommendation. I bet it's going to be good. Maybe I should go back and try to read that again. Peripheral was really good. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, some of the other ones get kind of slow and bogged down, but uh uh, agency like kicks it into next gear, so kicks it into next gear. Well, I have, and uh, and, and the, the 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 finale's coming soon. Yeah, the dog loves it. Maybe the dog's like more space carpets. Is, is what... <laughs> no space carpets, Cote. <laughs> it's got the things that you like. Oh, bureaucracy. That, I like that. Yes, yes, bureaucracy. <laughs> the, the the gripping tales of William Gibson's description of bureaucracy must, must be great. And staring into the static gray ceiling of my uh, my filing folders. Uh, well, I, I have I have a, a, a reemphasis recommendation, and then another one, kind of follow up to pre last week. So I, I've been cooking those uh, those Oklahoma style burgers that uh, that you know uh, Jay Kinsey Alt Lopez was going over, where you basically cook a, a kind of like a smash burger with a bunch of onions on one side. And I have to say, I probably need to stop making them because they're very unhealthy. And they make me feel sick afterwards. But boy, they're sure delicious eating. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can watch this video of him making them. They're, they're actually extremely quick uh, to make and very delicious. The only part is like cleaning up after them. But whatever. That's, you know, you got your deal there. But so I, I had forgotten about this uh, to my discredit. But, you know, we talked a lot about platform engineering last week. And I remembered that, uh, that we here at VMware licensed a Gartner paper from February that's basically all about platform engineering, and it's pretty thorough and good. 
and uh, it's called Innovation Insight for Internal Development Portals. And this, this is the one that in a, a Humanitech blog post from two weeks ago, they refer, I think, refer to this paper and that you should go check it out, but then they didn't license it. And so I went searching around for it, and I saw that we did. But it's a good, uh, this is like from the era of, plat- I'm, I'm forming together my, my, my uh, history of platform engineering over the past year. And I think this is from the first, let's call it the 0.8 version of platform engineering, which is basically like, as they would call it, internal development platforms. And it was kind of like, we should do cool backstage stuff. And like, you know, managing the internet for developers, which is extensive expanded into all the past stuff as well. But there's a good, uh, pretty good Gartner overview of the capabilities, roles and responsibilities, all the kind of definition of what it looks like. And you can uh, get it for free with the link that I'll, I'll put in here. Or you can search for it yourself and, uh, and, and find where you can uh, get it for free. But it's, uh, if you're interested in platform engineering, you should check it out. And uh, obviously, you're probably interested in that because you've listened this far to Software Defined Talk, uh, which is a great podcast. You should subscribe to it on all devices that you have, whether they can run Ventura or not. doesn't really matter. Uh, and all of your, your children's, your enemies, your, your spouses, if you just meet someone, just grab their phone and uh, put it at their face and uh, then subscribe <laughs> to this so that you can download it. But if you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 382. And uh, I don't know. We'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Just, just a little, little highlight. Apple X. Done.